This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. A man fell in a hole. He fell in a hole, and he couldn't get out. A traveler passed by. He told the man to meditate, to purify his mind, and when he reached Nirvana, all suffering would cease. The man did as he was told, but he remained in the hole. Another man appeared. He explained that the hole didn't exist, and neither, in fact, did the man. It was all an illusion. The man who did not exist was still stuck in the hole that was not there. Another visitor arrived. He instructed the man to perform good deeds to improve his karma, and though he would still die in the hole, he might be reincarnated as something magnificent. Another man looked down from above. He taught the man to pray five times a day facing east and to follow five important tenets. If he was faithful, one day, perhaps, the divine would set him free. The man prayed as best he could, but he was losing strength. And in the hole he remained. something different about him. He called down to the man in the hole and asked him if he wanted to be free. This man lowered himself into the earth, into the pit. He took hold of the man. dragged him into the light. And the man in the hole, who could not get himself out, was saved. Good morning. That's a very thought-provoking video, don't you think? Yeah, you know, it flies... um, It kind of gives us pause to consider a question and I know that every single person here has been asked this question before. You maybe you maybe even have said it. What's the difference between all the religions in the world? Aren't they really just sort of different versions of the same thing? Sort of different paths to get to the same location? How many of you have ever heard that question? Yeah, you know, in fact, where we live, that's sort of the default position that most people come from. And this morning I want to talk about that, and I want to talk about it in a way that's kind, that's considerate, 
that's thoughtful, that's careful, but it's also truthful. Because there's a danger in not getting the right answer to that question. And I want to illustrate that danger out of something, out of an experience that we've all had in life. So before we get into that, we've got some really fun things that we're going to do this morning. We're going to do a 3D bar graph. A graph. I think that's going to be a whole lot of fun. We're going to do some visual stuff that will help us get a perspective on a good answer to that question. Before we get into that, my name is Ron. For those of you who have never been here before, I want to introduce myself. I am a New Life Senior Pastor, and I'll be at hanging out in the lobby afterwards, and I would love to get to meet you before you leave if I didn't get a chance to meet you on the way in. I want to invite you to do another thing. If you'll open up your programs, on the inside of your programs, you'll find some fill-in-the-blank notes. I'm going to rely on your note-taking skill this morning uh, because I'm going to give you lots and lots of facts and figures and uh, too many to put in there in a fill-in-the-blank style. So when a fact or a figure hits you and you think, wow, that's a really important one, I want to remember that, well, there's plenty of room for you to jot it down in the margins. Every once in a while, I have to go to the doctor. And when I do, I'm always going there for a purpose. I have never once woken up in the morning and said, you know something? I haven't been to the doctor in a long time. I think I'll go today. I tend to wait until something is broken before I go look for how to fix it. When I go to the doctor, I have a preferred diagnosis. You know what my preferred diagnosis is? I want to hear the doctor say to me, Mr. Hunt, I have located the problem. It is nothing serious. I'm going to prescribe these little pills for you. You take one every day. In a few hours, you're going to feel like a new man. I'm all on board with that, right? That's why we go to the doctor. That's the message we want to hear. Okay, let's put that to a real case test. I go to the doctor. He runs a few tests. He sits me down and he says, Mr. Hunt, I'm sorry to tell you, but you have a condition called diabetes. And what that means is that your body does not process properly starches and sugars. So here's what we're going to have to do. I'm going to have to put you on a diet that restricts starches and sugars. I'm going to give you these little pills. You need to take one every day. I'm going to give you a little machine that you need to test your blood sugar with every day. And we'll work at this. But I think if you'll cooperate with me, we can get this regulated. And if you do that, it's not fatal. You should live a long and full life. I'm a guy who thinks that the primary purpose of cake is to hold frosting. <laughs> I'm not particularly happy with that prognosis and that, and that prescription. So I decide I'm going to go to a different doctor because I didn't like that answer. So I go to a different doctor and he runs some tests and he says, you know, Mr. Hunt, I'm sorry to tell you, but you have a condition known as diabetes. That sounds real familiar. He said, let me, let me tell you something about diabetes. Diabetes is a condition in which your body does not process starches and sugars like it should. This is sounding very familiar. But now this is where the roads part. 
He said, sugar and, and, and glucose is a very, very important part of your body because it's actually the fuel that your body runs on. And when your body doesn't process starches and sugars correctly, you could run out of fuel. So here's the deal. You need to eat more sugar than the average person. Otherwise, you could run out because your body doesn't process it correctly. So here's the deal. I want you to take one cube of sugar at least every morning. And I want you to eat dessert before you go to bed. What do you think? Are those just different varieties of the same thing and different roads to get to the same place? What do you think? No. We're all smart enough to know that... Do both of those sound reasonable? They could. They both start with the fact you have diabetes. They both start with the fact your body doesn't process sugars and starches like it should. And they both acknowledge the fact that your body has to have glucose or sugar in order to fuel what it does. There's some truth there. But we all recognize the devastating results if the application is not the proper application. Now, friends, if you and I would not trust our physical health to just, by golly, you go and find a doctor that tells you what you want to hear, and if it sounds good to you, buy it and go with it. If you wouldn't do that with your physical health, then I want to challenge you, don't do that, with your one and only life and with your eternity. You know, if I honestly didn't know which one of those doctors was telling me the truth, what would you suggest that I do? Would you not suggest that I do some research and find out what the truth is and then choose the doctor who's telling me the truth? I want to encourage every single one of us to do in the spiritual realm what we all understand we have to do in the physical realm. Because, friends, you cannot take pieces of advice that are diametrically opposed to each other and just say, hey, pick whichever one you want. It becomes true for you. Friends, it does not become true just because you believe it. It doesn't become true just because a few million people believe it. It's either true or it's not true. So this morning we're going to do a little research. And I want to invite you along on that research. Because there are lots of roads that are out there for us to choose religiously. But I think if we'll do a little research, we're going to find that it selects much easier than we thought. doesn't have to be that confusing. So let's jump into this. There have been about 60 billion people who have walked the face of planet Earth in its entire history. Of the 60 billion people who have walked the face of our planet, about 6 billion, a little over 6 billion, are living today. So that means one out of every 10 people who have ever lived on our planet are living on our planet today. Believe it or not, When you get down to looking at the religious leaders who have had a significant and sustained and worldwide religious impact, the number is very few. Now, there have been 
gurus or whatever who have risen in the, in the moment. They've gathered a, a few hundred thousand followers, in some cases a few million followers, but two decades after they're gone, no one remembers them, no one follows them. They were a flash in the pan. I'm not willing to trust my life in eternity with a flash in the pan. If we're going to follow a religious leader, it ought to be one who has a significant impact, a sustained impact over centuries, and a worldwide impact, not just a local cultural one. But when you study all 60 billion people, believe it or not, there are only four who have ever done that. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? By the way, the facts and figures I'm giving you, you could obtain down at Petaluma Local Library if you wanted to. They're all right there. So let's take a look at those four. They are Confucius, Buddha, Muhammad, and Jesus. The only four religious leaders out of the 60 billion people who have lived who have had a significant, sustained over the centuries, and worldwide impact. And this morning, we have four boxes that we're going to begin to build our bar graph with. And so there they are. There's Confucius, and we'll let Kevin... By the way, this is Vanna. You like this? Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, yes. So we're going to build our bar graph. Now, let me give you some historical background on each one of these. And we'll start right here with Confucius. Confucius was born in 551 B.C. He was born in the country of China. His name was Kangqui. Later on, it was Latinized to become Confucius. Um, He was a social philosopher and a social reformer. He spoke out against the immoralities and the injustices and the unethical practices of his day, and he sought to lead in the country of China and in the surrounding areas a large social reform. At its height, some 300 million people would have called themselves Confucianists, and even today, Some 26 centuries after he lived, even today, there are over 6 million people who call themselves Confucianists. Definitely a world player. Next to him is Buddha. Buddha was born actually 12 years before Confucius in 563 AD. He was born in the country of India. He was born into wealth. Uh, He was the son of a prince uh, who protected him from all suffering and even the sight of all suffering. But as an adult, he left the palaces in which he was born and raised. It was a life-changing experience for him. He rejected the life of ease and he began to delve into the concept of what's the cause of all human suffering. He lived as a beggar and a student He studied under two Hindu master teachers. And after a lengthy period of meditation, he achieved what he would call enlightenment. I'll teach you about his teachings a little bit later. 365 million people today on our planet describe themselves as Buddhists. A definite player. By the way, just to give you a little bit of a of a perspective on those numbers, 300 million people, I said, at one point were Confucianists. That's about the current population of the United States. 
So that's a significant number of people. And because it was over 26 centuries, that's pretty sustained. Okay? <clears throat> Buddha, same thing, except it's 365 million people in our world call themselves Buddhists some 26 centuries after he lived. Definitely a major player. Next to him is Muhammad. Muhammad was born in the Middle East. He was orphaned at a very early age. He was born in Mecca. <clears throat> he was orphaned at an early age, mostly raised by his uncle who led caravans across the desert sands of the Middle East. And so um, Muhammad was born into an idolatrous family. In fact, his whole culture was idolatrous. And uh, Muhammad rejected that. He saw the futility of worshiping sticks and stones and idols. And uh, he, not finding a religion that he felt totally comfortable with, he decided to found his own religion. It's called the religion of Islam. Today, some 1.2 billion people, that's billion with a B, would call themselves Muslims and followers of Muhammad. He's definitely a player. Last person up there is Jesus. The world dates its calendar from his birth. He was born in Bethlehem in the country of Israel, a tiny little country about 35 miles wide and 100 miles long. He spent virtually all of his life inside that one little territory. He trained 12 people personally, and he taught as a walking teacher. And yet today... Somewhere between 2 and 3 billion people call themselves Christians. In virtually every country, actually in every country, known country in the world. He's definitely a player. <clears throat> Here's one other thing I should tell you about each one. Confucius called himself a social reformer and, and philosopher. Buddha called himself a religious reformer. Muhammad called himself a religious founder. Jesus called himself the Son of God. Now you recognize the difference in the claims already up front. So now we're going to begin to compare these four people with some criteria that I think we have a right to deserve if we're going to follow someone who says that they are a religious leader. We're going to look at six of them, and I'm going to move through them rather quickly, and I'm going to give you some facts and figures on each one. So let's begin with what every religious leader is judged by, his or her teachings. And the teachings are going to be judged on the scope of what they taught and in the breadth of its impact on the world. Let's begin with Confucius. Confucius was a prolific, prolific writer, teacher, philosophy, uh, philosopher, and social reformer. Definitely concerned about the immoralities and unethical practices of his day. And uh, he was a purveyor of human wisdom. He sat, he thought, he meditated, and he said, this is how people should behave. However, in all of his writings and in all of his teachings, he never made any attempt to connect any person with God, never made any talk about life after death, never taught about the origin of life, the purpose of life, but merely taught about human behavior. So the scope of what he taught was very, was very limited and very narrow, and frankly, most of its impact was in the Far East. So for that, 
we're going to give him what we'll call one quarter of a block. Now, <clears throat> the blocks that you see with their names are a full-size block, so we're going to give him one quarter of a block because uh, that's really what he deserves. Let's go on to Buddha. Buddha wrote some 20,000 pages of writings. And that's amazing, just in and of itself, in his lifetime. He was a very unselfish man. Uh, he was very concerned about the suffering he saw. And in his own words, he said, these are the four basic principles of life. And so here they are. Number one, life is suffering. Okay? I, I might struggle if that was my starting point, but life is suffering. Okay? Number two, the cause of all suffering is desire. Number three, if you want to eliminate suffering, you have to overcome every desire. In other words, if you could kill all the desire that you have, you would never be disappointed, correct? Because you would never expect anything. And therefore, if you never expected anything and you suffered, you would be getting exactly what you expected. Okay? Therefore, you wouldn't seem like suffering to you. And then last of all, he talked about this. Overcoming desire is best done through what he called the Eightfold Path. I don't have time to break that all out for you today. But in his own words, Buddha said these are the four basic tenets of life. Now, to be honest, his teachings and so forth have, have had a much larger impact in the worldwide sphere, much wider than those of Confucius. Um, so to be honest, he deserves certainly a higher rating uh, than what we gave to uh, Confucius. So for that, we're going to give him a half a block because his teachings certainly had a greater impact. Let's move on to Muhammad. Muhammad's teachings are contained primarily in a book called the Quran. He claimed to have received it through visions that he had while in a sort of trance-like behavior in a cave. He said the visions came from God. He simply wrote them down, and, and that became the Quran. Today, there's about somewhere a little under one billion copies of the Quran in existence. Um, uh, the 1.2 billion Muslims around the world certainly revere it. It's held in high esteem. Uh, in many countries in the world, and I think for that, he deserves even a higher rating than what we gave to Buddha. So uh, for that, he's going to get, there it is, three quarters of a block. It's very deserved. Let's talk about the teachings of Jesus. And I would be the first to admit it's a little hard to be objective about the teachings of Jesus, but, but let's be conservative with this, Okay. The closest competitor to the Bible in terms of distribution and respect around the world is actually none of the teachings of any of these people. Okay? Actually, the second most published book in the United States is Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Life, which is also about the Christian life. Probably the second most published book in the history of the world was, were the quotations of Mao Zedong. And the reason they are the second most published is because he required every single person living in China to own a copy and, and, and to have read it. So he printed enough to give it to them, and that was one billion copies. Although statistics reveal 
that many of them are just in warehouses to this day, have never been distributed. However, compare that with the Bible, that over 6 billion copies of it are in existence today. There's not a book on the face of the earth that has, that has sold even one-fifth the number of the books of the Bible. Uh, translated into over 2,500 languages, there's just no book that compares to it. So we're going to give it a full size, and that's pretty conservative, a full-size block. Now let's move on to criteria number two. Those are the teachings. Criteria number two is moral life. Because if we're going to follow a religious leader, would you prefer to follow one who taught well but didn't live it or one who taught well but did live it? Yeah, I want to follow one who not only teaches well but actually does what he or she says. So let's start all the way over here with Confucius. You know the amazing thing? Pretty much everyone here has heard a statement that says, Confucius says, right? We've all heard that. But if you, go back, if you go back and you study the history, you will find that almost without exception, there is no place in the writings of Confucius or about Confucius where people are encouraged to follow his example. Now, from everything that was written, we, can, we, we know that he lived a better than average life. He was a sincere guy, but there was nothing in him that said, follow me. He, his teaching was, do what I say. So we know very, very little about his actual personal life. But we don't want to leave him completely out, so we're going to give him half a box because he actually deserves that. Uh, I happen to believe that if he was a real moral scallywag, that uh, he probably would have faded into the woodwork like a lot of other people who taught well but didn't live well. Now, let's talk about Buddha. Buddha was raised in a palace... And when he saw human suffering for the first time, he rejected palace life. He went out to live among common people. He lived a very unselfish life, a very generous life, a very kind life. And many people were encouraged to follow in Buddha's footsteps. Even he himself encouraged people to. From all that we can see, although he did not live a perfect life, he certainly lived a very moral one by the standards of his day. He deserves certainly a higher rating than Confucius. So we're going to give him three quarters of a block. When it comes to Muhammad, this is where sometimes comparisons get a little awkward because the truth is Muhammad often wrote about his own dark side. He often confessed the dark side of his, of his personality, the dark side of his behavior. He often begged Allah for forgiveness. Uh, he was plagued by his own internal evil desires, and and by his own admission, he often gave in to them. So uh, while his teachings encouraged people to do certain things, for instance, let me give you an example. In the Quran, uh, men are forbidden to have more than four wives. Uh, Muhammad claimed he had a divine exception, and he married many, many, many wives. Um, that, That was sort of the tenor of his life. So in all honesty, when it comes to his personal morality in life, uh, we have to give Muhammad a quarter of a block. Now let's talk about Jesus. Jesus is the only person that I know of in history who has ever lived and said, I am sinless. He stood in front of a crowd of people, many of whom were his enemies, and and he gave them this question. Can any of you charge me or challenge me or find me guilty of any wrong anywhere 
any place, any time. I dare say there's not a person in our crowd this morning who would stand up in this crowd and say that. Right? Because we're afraid someone would actually tell the truth. And that could be embarrassing. You know, the crowd was silent. His followers also claimed that he lived a sinless life. And even when he was on trial, at the very end of his life, because the Jews wanted to kill him, they tried to hire false accusers. And even the false accusers couldn't bring up anything. So you know what they finally killed him for? He claimed to be the Son of God. That was his crime. Now, just to put that in perspective, we have a local hero whom we now know was somewhat chemically enhanced. Okay? His name was Barry Bonds, right? And even in his chemically enhanced state, back in 2001, he hit 73 home runs in one baseball season. Um, That's pretty astounding. Had he been Jesus, that number would have been 476. Because that's how many times he was actually at bat that season. And had he been Jesus, it wouldn't have just been 476 home runs that year. He would have hit a home run at every plate appearance for his entire career, and not just his career, in Major League Baseball. When you go back to Arizona State where he played where he played college ball, he would have hit a home run every single time. And then you would have to go back to Sarah High School, Sarah High School, where he would have hit a home run every time. And then you would have to go back to Babe Ruth, and you'd have to go back to Little League. And even in T-ball, a home run. Every, if you're going to be perfect, every time. Friends, it's hard for us to get a hold of perfection. It'd be, it would be wrong to give Jesus just one box. He actually gets a double-sized box for living perfectly. Now let's move on to miracle power. If I'm going to follow somebody who's a religious leader, I want to follow somebody who's more than a human being, not just some human being like me who's got some wise ideas and some good ideas. I want to follow someone who can do things I cannot do. And miracle power is the ability to transcend the laws of nature. We start with Confucius. Confucius never claimed to do a miracle. No one ever claimed that he did a miracle. In fact, he doesn't even address it in his writings or teachings. So we can't really give him a a block or a box there. Let's move on to Buddha. The same thing is true with Buddha. Never claimed to have miracle power. No one ever claimed that he ever did a miracle. He was just a teacher, just a human being who was trying to live a good life. He never claimed to be able to do any miracle power in anybody else's life or miracles on or through anybody else. So he also gets no no box or block there. We move on to Muhammad. Muhammad, the Quran itself says, point blank, Muhammad never did any miracles. So that makes that one really easy. He also gets no block there. But when we start talking about Jesus and we start talking about miracles in every major category... Of, of human law and nature, Jesus transcended it. For instance, he walked on water. That defies the laws of gravity. It also defies the laws that govern the buoyancy of water and, 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 and the physics of that whole thing. He, he controlled the weather when he wanted to. 
He stilled the storm. He mastered that. He transcended the laws of weather. I don't know what the barometric pressure was. I don't know any of that kind of stuff. But I know when Jesus stood up in the boat and said, be still, guess what happened? It all changed. Yeah. He transcended the laws of human nature when it comes to sickness and illness. He would walk up to people who were blind from birth and he would give them sight. He would walk up to people whose, whose limbs had rotted away from leprosy and he would restore their limbs fully whole. There was no disease that he could not touch or heal. In fact, the Bible says people brought to him all kinds of people. And listen to this. He healed them. You know what the next two words were? Every one. In fact, there was nothing that Jesus seemingly could not do, including raising people from the dead. So that's not just usual and normal miracle power. Once again, I think he deserves a double-sized box because even today, some 2,000 years after Jesus lived, people are still healed in his name. Is that right? Yeah. When have you ever heard of anyone being healed in the name of Buddha? And I speak no disrespect to Buddha. No one's ever been healed in the name of Buddha. No one's ever been healed in the name of Muhammad. No one's ever been healed in the name of Confucius. Because, friends, they had no miracle power. They said it themselves. But Jesus, even 2,000 years later, people are healed in his name. Let's go to prophetic power. And by prophetic power, I mean the ability to supernaturally see into people's lives and to see into the future. Confucius claimed no prophetic power, never claimed to look into anyone's life, never claimed to look in the future. That's easy. No box there. Buddha, the exact same thing. Buddha never claimed to see anybody into anybody's life. He never claimed to be able to read their thoughts, to predict who they were, what they did, where they would be. He just simply didn't operate in that arena at all, Muhammad got visions from God in a cave, in a trance, wrote them down, claimed to be a prophet. In fact, the teachings of Muhammad, the very first one, begins like this. There's one God, and Allah is his name. Teaching number two, there are many prophets. Allah uses many prophets, including Moses and Jesus, but the latest, last, and greatest of these is Muhammad. So he definitely claimed to be a prophet. His followers claim him to be a prophet, although he never spoke into anyone's life in terms of their own thoughts. He never made any attempt to look at someone he did not know and tell them who they were, where they had been, and what they had been doing. And he also made no attempt to look into the future and and to predict what was going to take place in the future. So while he was a a prophet in one sense, it was a very limited scope. So uh, we're going to give him a quarter of a box. On the other hand, when we get to Jesus... Jesus walked up, sat down at a well. A lady came up that he had never seen before, and he began to engage her in conversation. And and partway through the conversation, he said to her, why don't you go bring your husband? She said, sir, I have no husband. And he said to her, yes, ma'am, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five, and you're now living with a guy you're not married to, right? She went back to her friends and said, this guy knows everything about me. And I never met him before. How did Jesus do that? Because he had the ability to miraculously, supernaturally see into people's hearts and lives. He was, after all, as by his own claim, God in the flesh. And if he was, wouldn't you expect him to be able to do that? I would. 
He predicted so many things about his own death. He predicted where he would die in the city of Jerusalem. He predicted that it would be the Jews who would arrest him, and they did. He predicted the Jews would turn him over to the Romans, and they did. He predicted that the Romans would persecute him, and they did. He predicted the Romans would put him to death, and they did. He predicted that he would stay dead three days, and he was. And he made those predictions so often and so publicly that his enemies knew every one of them. This wasn't something he said somewhere in a sort of closed place, public knowledge. Yeah, there was nothing that Jesus seemingly did not know. So once again, he gets a double-sized box when it comes to prophetic power because uh, it just was effusive in Jesus' life. Now we're going to talk about resurrection power. Because every major religion in the world has believed in some form of afterlife. Well, I want one that can actually give me some proof that it exists, or at least some indicators. We start over here with Confucius. He never even talked about life after death. He was a social reformer. He was not really into the origin of life or its destiny. So he didn't even approach the subject, so that's easy to rate. There's no box there. When it comes to uh, life after death and, and resurrection power, we, we can talk about Buddha, but here's the plain and simple truth. Buddha died, and his remains were sent to various temples, which are considered holy sites for the Buddhists, and they're in mounds called sittas, and you can go and visit them today because Buddha died. He made no claims that he would raise himself, and he certainly made no claims that he would raise anybody else. And his, his tombs, if you call them that, are with us today. So he, he didn't really demonstrate any resurrection power at all. And by resurrection power, we're talking about the ability to raise himself from the dead. When it comes to um, Muhammad, he died and is buried uh, in Medina, and uh, every year, millions of Islamic people go there on pilgrimages. His tomb is still there. It's considered one of the holiest, if not the holiest, of all Islamic sites. And um, uh, he, he made no claim that he would raise himself from the dead. Certainly made no claim that he would raise anyone else from the dead. So when it comes to resurrection power, Muhammad simply didn't claim to have any resurrection power. So that's pretty easy to rate as well. But when it comes to Jesus, Jesus said, I have the power to lay down my life and I have the power to take it up again. There's no one else in the world who's ever said that. He said, I want to tell you this. You put me to death and three days later, I'm coming back. He said, you mark my word. His enemies knew it and they didn't want that to be a false claim. So they went out and they hired a whole detachment of Roman soldiers to guard his tomb. It didn't make any difference. When you are God in human flesh, I don't care how many soldiers you have out there. When Jesus said, I'm coming back, guess what? The stone's rolling away and he's coming out. Now, we just saw the completion. And yes, Kevin... It's a double-sized box. I'll let you put that on there while I finish talking about this. <clears throat> we have some tall guys in the church, but none of them is going to be tall enough to do that one. Okay? Well, there was just a very high-profile case finished with Barry Bonds. And you know, one of the most powerful forms of testimony, in fact, the single most powerful form of testimony in a courtroom is an eyewitness. 
I'm guessing that if there was a murder scene or a steroid case or whatever it might be, if the prosecuting attorney could march in 500 individual personal eyewitnesses who would all testify to the same thing, it would be a very long trial, would it not? But do you think it might be fairly convincing? 500 personal eyewitnesses who all said the same thing. There are that many and more eyewitnesses of Jesus' resurrection. And you know what else? He said, just to prove it, I want, I want you to know this. I'm going to raise three different people in my lifetime from the dead. And I'm not just blowing smoke. When I tell you I, can, I have the power to pick up life from the dead, he said, I, I, I want to demonstrate that. He raised a 12-year-old girl. He raised the son of a widow, and he raised his own personal friend, Lazarus, from the dead, and he did every single one of them in front of crowds of people. Yeah. The last one is atoning power. And that's the ability and the willingness to personally pay the penalty for our sins. This, again, is very easy. When you look over here at Confucius... Confucius didn't even address the idea or the concept of sin. He talked about immorality and, and unethical practices, but he never talked about sin. So he never made any attempt to atone, for, to atone for anybody's sins. When you go to Buddha, once again, Buddha was all about him learning how to achieve enlightenment. And he never once offered to help anybody else with their own sins. He simply said, follow my path and you'll get there on your own. When it comes to Muhammad, Muhammad talked about his own dark side and begged for the forgiveness of his own sins. He never once offered to atone or pay the penalty for anybody else's sins. He was conflicted about his own. But friends, when it comes to Jesus, I want to direct your attention to the video screens. Here's what the Bible says. I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. That is the goal. However, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, one who pleads our case before the Father. And how does he do it? Does Jesus come before God and say, oh, God, be merciful on them. They're just, they're just people. They don't know what they're doing. You know, they really have no, no, that's not what he did. You know how Jesus pleads our case? Here it is. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice who atones for our sins and not only our sins, but what? The sins of all the world. Friends, when Jesus pleads your case, and he pleads mine, he comes before God, and he says, I know they did it. I don't deny that. And I know they have no excuse for doing it. But I want to remind you, I already paid for that sin. It's on me. There's no religious leader in the history of the world other than Jesus who ever dared to say about sin, somebody else's sin, it's on me. I'll cover it. Now I want to take you back to that original video. Remember the guy in the hole? And the people who kept coming by the hole saying, do this, 
do this or the whole doesn't exist or you don't exist or follow the eightfold path or, 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 or pray five times a day. And I mean no disrespect to any of, of the religions that are alluded to in that, but I want you to understand at the end of the day, where was the guy still in the hole? It was Jesus who said, I'll come down into the hole with you and I'll carry you out. It's on me. Now, there are two boxes that we haven't turned over. And as we close, I want, to turn, I want Kevin to turn them over. Because here's the truth. The vast majority of the people who have ever lived have trusted their life and their eternity to one of those four. But there are actually two other options. There's a number of people who simply say, I'm an agnostic. I think you can't know. Okay? My question for you, and yes, Jesus gets a double-sized box when it comes to atoning power. So there you have it. There's a number of people who say, I don't think you can know. Friends, if I'm going to trust my life in eternity and I'm looking at that graph, would I be willing to compare the teachings, the moral life, the, the miracle power, the resurrection power, the prophetic power, and the atoning power to I don't know? If I went to the doctor and the doctor said, Sir, you have diabetes, is it okay for me to walk away and say, I don't know what that is and I really don't, I don't, I don't care to do the research? No. It's your life. You want to do the research. But you know, the, by far the most common one is this one closest to me. You know, Pastor, I'm just going to do what feels good, and I hope that's good enough. Well, I have a simple question to ask you. Would you be willing to compare your teachings with the teachings of Jesus? Would you be willing to compare your moral life with the moral life of Jesus? Would you be willing to compare your prophetic power with the prophetic power of Jesus? Would you be willing to co compare your resurrection power with that of Jesus? And would you be willing to compare your atoning power with that of Jesus? Friend, you don't have to trust your gut and hope. We have one who has lived, who has done it all. And he simply says, come and follow me. This morning, I'm going to give you that opportunity. I'm going to pray. And I, and I know that this particular sermon doesn't have a ton of humor in it. We haven't laughed a lot this morning. But that's okay. What I want you to know, what I want you to see is that Jesus says, I love you. I came down from heaven to be God in the flesh so I could take each one of you by the hand and pull you out of the hole and say it's on me. If you've never made that choice, you've been hanging around, you've been looking at it, and you say, wow, now I understand. These are not just different versions of the same thing. They're not even close to different versions of the same thing. Now I know that there is a truth. And as Jesus said, in closing, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the truth is, everyone in the audience this morning is probably trusting one of those six. I want to pray it's Jesus. If you want to choose to follow Christ, I'll give you a couple things. On the inside of your program, there's a card. It says, on, the, on one side, start here. On the other side, it says, connect card. 
want you to take that card, please. Put your name and your email address on the front side. On the back side, there are places for you to respond to what we've talked about today. Some of them have to do with this particular message. Some of them, some of them have to do with what's coming up next week at Easter. You can read, but I want to encourage you, if you choose to become a follower of Christ today, on that box or that little circle that says, I'm choosing today to become a Christian. I want you to check that because I don't want to take that for granted. I want to meet with you this week and I want to make sure you know and fully understand what that means so that you can trust your life and your eternity to Jesus. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you. We bless you. We praise you for walking with us through this life. There's so much you have done in this moment of decision. Lord, would you meet us here? Would you draw near to us? Would you call us to yourself? So that even though we respond with kindness and love to the people of all other religions, we love them enough to share with them the truth about life and the difference between you, Lord Jesus, and everyone else who has or ever will live. I pray it in your name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.